This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Okay, so my name is Becca Saltzman, um, and I'm going to be looking in different places than I expected today. So my notes are way the heck up here um, on my second monitor. So I'm going to talk a little bit today about um, kind of the last 10 years um, of BizDev for sort of Finji and myself personally. I've been in the industry now for 10 years. So a little bit to start out, like who I am, what I do, what are my games, and why am I here um, who am I? I'm Beck Saltzman. What do I do? I run Finji, which is both an independent game development studio and a, um, uh, sort of a small micro publisher. Um, so we've put out, uh, we put out night in the woods with, uh, with Scott and Alec and Bethany and the rest of the team, uh, two years ago, which sort of lasts forever. We still have one more launch even on it. I am launching Overland this fall, um, which y'all already mentioned. I was uh, in the Apple Arcade video uh, in March. That was a wild experience. Um, and then I'm also launching Walmart's Warehouse this year. And then um, in the future, we have Tunic coming, which is an Xbox console launch exclusive. And that's another one of my publishing projects. Um, and then why am I here today? I don't know. Uh, I do a lot of biz dev. That's for darn sure. Um, and a lot of the things that I do are things that a lot of people, like, we just can't talk about publicly. Um, I'm behind a lot of NDAs. So when people talk about biz dev, um, like, what are we talking about and who is that person? And are they really part of the development team? Um, we sort of get that a lot. Uh, so I'm going to talk about some of the skills that I brought from sort of my past life before I got into games um, and how those have sort of moved forward into um, kind of interacting with the sort of things that I do today. And why will this go forward? Awesome. Okay. So, a decade of Bex, life before games. What did I do before games? I worked in media. Um, I did media relations. So um, people would send me press releases and I would run press conferences. Um, and then I moved in, from there into software. Um, I worked as a product manager for a photography so, uh, software company, like a workflow company. Um, and I was um, pretty good at those things in my past life. Um, I really liked working for kind of... Um, corporations and I'm for PR I work mostly in like the nonprofit world um, and I found all of those things really really interesting um, and when the opportunity arose for me to sort of quit my real job um, I kind of took it um, to work with Adam and to help him run kind of the video game companies um, which I did sort of silently um, I put a, po a picture of me at my very first GDC which was in 2009 uh, I attended that GDC on a press badge because I took photos for a website. Uh, so that is like the first day with my flip phone um, sitting, I think, probably in the W Hotel lobby. Um, but yeah, my first GDC was in 2009. Um, and I was there as uh, a wife. Um, I hadn't, I guess, 100% entered the industry yet. I was just sort of doing the money uh, for our um, iPhone and turnkey companies. Um, so some of the things that I am good at, um, based on like sort of my past life is I'm really good at managing bureaucracy. Um, so sort of like the weird decisions or decisions that large companies make that we think are weird, uh, make a lot of sense to me. Um, I'm also really good at, um, sort of organizing systems in my head. Um, especially systems of larger titanic sized companies. Um, pretty good at management um, and also strategic planning, um, which are the things that came out through sort of my work in PR and marketing and then also my work at the software company. Um, 
so that's sort of my life before games. Um, and this is me up through like age 28. Um, so I'm 38 now. Um, so yeah, that was sort of like my first decade out of high school. Now, I'm going to talk today about sort of three skills I sort of developed in my 20s that have now carried forward. Um, I honestly thought nothing would, because <laughs> uh, in games, you always feel like uh, you're doing something so weird. You go home and talk to your families at the holidays. don't have any clue what you're doing, like in real life. Um, but that's actually not the case at all, especially when you're working kind of on the business or production side of things. Um, so here, these are sort of three things that I rely on more than I thought um, I would. So the first thing is, and these kind of all um, are connected to things from my past life. Um, so the first thing is sustainability um, and sort of the terrifying result of being poor. Um, I, uh, my parents got divorced when I was in high school. So I sort of put myself through college and I uh, didn't have enough money to buy groceries. Um, I was dating Adam at the time. So he would sort of fill in the edges of where I couldn't like uh, afford anything from month to month. Um, but in that I learned a lot of things like budgeting and in particular with Finji, the ability to be sustainable. Um, the second thing I'm going to talk about today is the relationship equation, um, which when I joke around talking to friends, I call it managing the spider web. And the third thing is the crystal ball, and that's the science of culture. Um, and that's sort of uh, the idea of how creating media and culture and how studying media and culture um, have influenced my current use of the science of culture, um, which sounds kind of stupid right now, but I promise it'll make sense in a second. So yeah, first thing, sustainability. Um, and this is the question I ask a lot of a lot of friends, which is, why did you put all your eggs in one basket? Um, so one of my lessons, especially from not having a lot of money when I was sort of in high school and college um, and starting, I started working at about 15, um, working more hours than I was legally allowed to work um, because I knew I was going to have to put myself through college. Um, I was, I learned to sort of be terrified of putting too much control in the hands of a single source that had more power than me. Um, the idea that somebody else would have complete control over my financial future was very, very scary for me. Um, and this has sort of turned into the idea that like when I, um, design sort of Finji's financial future, um, I get very uncomfortable when I put too much trust into a single company um, or a single investor or um, even a single team member. Um, we work with really interesting people because that helps me be more sustainable. I'm bringing and we're bringing more people into our company to make us more sustainable. Um, and a big reason for this is, I worry constantly about how I can ride out sort of the tumultuous times in the industry. So every few, few years, the industry will like contract down. Um, and then you'll see like sort of a rise of more exclusive content for consoles or whatever. And then they'll, it'll open up for indies again. They'll get, it'll feel like every indie can publish on anything and then they'll feel like it contracts again. Um, and my whole goal is to make sure that those contractions don't really affect us in a way that would require us to change the type of games that we want to make. So there are two things that sort of go along with this is how do you control for studio sustainability? Um, and the main things are we have to di diversify our revenue streams. Um, there's this horrible, very businessy term, which is like cross pollination. Um, but we talk about it a lot, which is a cross-pollination of audience base. Um, so we release a bunch of games, like almost one a year, and each one of those games are kind of in a different genre. So how do I get somebody from my hardcore strategy game to also play my um, uh, tunic, which is, you know, like a fox with a sword game? And then how do I get the fox with a sword action adventure game kids to play uh, Night in the Woods, which is like, you know, an 11-hour narrative explore this city derp around town simulator which is 
Sorry, Scott. Um, so how do you control for sustainability? And for us, it's we need to make sure that we are hitting the same audience, but at the same time, taking an outside audience to games that are outside of their genre. Um, we have uh, something that we call sort of outward facing development in market marketing instead of inward and isolated. So that's why you'll find us at shows. Um, the marketing spend, sort of the money I spend going to things like PAX or Gamescom or E3, um, when PlayStation Experience used to exist, that was really important to us because that's our outward-facing marketing. Um, and that is sort of allowing sort of the cult of personality to like use us to help push our games because we're very, very small. Um, and that's sort of on an individual buy-in basis, depending on the dev team member. Um, so that's one of the ways that we are controlling for studio sustainability. But then we also control for project sustainability. Um, and this is where, as a biz dev person, I'm looking for strategic partnerships. And that's, as a plural, S, strategic partnerships. I have a lot of games. And even within each game, I have multiple partnerships for every single one of my titles. Um, and I use these um, these partnerships um, to promote my games in a lot of ways because they're much bigger than me. Um, and I call them our mavens, which is not a, a, a term that I coined. Um, it's a sort of a culture term. So you're a cultural maven. It means that you're like an early adopter of something. Um, I find it really useful to think of my strategic partnerships as mavens. So, um, you know, our partnership with Xbox, with Tunic, Xbox is sort of my um, partnership maven. They're the ones who are currently the most excited about sort of driving this title forward. Um, so the cool thing about sort of Maven, these people with power, um, is they can be platform holders. These people can be investors, fan forums, content creators. Um, and bet across every title, I develop relationships that make the most sense um, for all aspects of a title. So when we go to launch Overland, and which we're doing right now, is we're looking for Mavens in the strategy uh, genre who can, who are, you know, eyeballs deep in the strategy genre, but also are excellent streamers who can sort of push the title out in front of people who want to play that genre. Um, and these are things that I'm constantly doing on a studio and a project level to sort of even the playing field on our sustainability. So in doing all of these things, I've created a ton of baskets and we have so many eggs, weird looking colorful ones, puppy eggs, kitty eggs, all the eggs, so many baskets, so many eggs. Um, and an example of this, um, so several years ago, sort of before we made the Finji change, we were kind of several different studios. Um, we sort of ran our iOS branch, then we ran our turnkey branch. And right after we launched our last game, Hundreds, um, which like won awards, um, we realized that there was no way we could take that game that took us almost two years to make and port it over to anything else because it required the touchscreen in such like an integral way to the game mechanic. Um, so um, it terrified us. We realized that at that point, because of the iOS device market, we had sort of put all of our eggs, all of our financial um, security kind of in one basket based on our design and the only storefronts that we could put it out on, um, which at that point, uh, we had just had our second kiddo. So I, we were like a family of four. We had a house in Austin, and that was a little bit too scary for us. Um, so we had to think really long and hard about how are we going to um, create more baskets for us to make sure that if a game did well, we were able to take it to more places. Um, and that's what we started sort of in 2014. And that's what y'all are familiar with, with Finji itself. Um, so, yeah. So there's a couple of things here, a lot of things here, actually. So for studio and project sustainability, um, the first thing we do and have done in the past is we diversify our revenue. Um, I, this is really important, especially for new indie studios starting out or um, an indie collaboration, they're just like, my gosh, how am I going to pay for this? And it's like, well, you have a lot of options available to you. Do you have a day job, contract work, 
uh, how much money do you actually need? Are you going to find investment? Um, and for us in the past, we've basically bootstrapped everything. So our diversifier revenue was to have our games out on as many platforms as possible, um, using our strategic, strategic partnerships to elevate them as high as we can. Um, but then also when we needed to fill in the gaps, we took on a lot of turnkey contract work. So we've worked with um, sort of the entertainment industry on advertising contracts. And we've also worked with like our last big contract was with like a steam grant with the university of Utah. Um, so this makes like our, the, the general um, sort of financial uncertainty of games, which is like I launch and then I don't make any money for the next like, I don't know, three years until I launch another game. It means that we have launches, but then we keep bumping up our um, bottom line enough that we're able to sort of carry more employees. Um, and we've done that, yeah, with the, our publishing projects, our uh, strategic partnerships, our contract work. Um, and that is a safer way for me. I am much more comfortable doing it that way because I know that I have a lot of baskets right now. And if one of them fails, I'll be okay. Um, because my background in not having a lot of money, I, I need to have that sort of security um, dug out for me. Um, there's another thing, um, and I run into this a lot. Um, loans actually freak me out um, because I have to pay those back and I have to pay those back at a premium. So um, I see and I get asked a lot and I mentor a lot of friends on, uh, should I take out this investment? Should I seek investment? Should I do this? And it always kind of comes down to like, are you comfortable with the fact that that investment is someone else's money? And it's not free. It will pay for you, but you have to pay it back. Um, so we have taken out very few loans over the years. As a matter of fact, we've taken out one. Um, and that was just a bridge loan between the end of some funding and the beginning of some other funding on a project on some turnkey stuff. Um, so I'm very careful with how much money I have to owe other people. Um, and to do that, to make sure that I can actually bootstrap the projects is I cut scope, uh, we cut budget, and we do the math. And the math is all capitalized because um, when you create your budgets, you need to make sure that you are thinking through how many copies of uh, the game that you're going to sell and at the revenue rate you're going to receive. So if you sell um, $100 on I don't know, Steam, uh, you're only going to see $70 of that. And maybe, you know, maybe that's 10 copies. Um, it's important to think about how many copies you're going to sell at full price, which is very important. And how many of those do you need to sell to cover the budget that you're expecting to need? Um, and when you start getting up into like, you know, I have a half a million dollar budget, you're looking at a lot of copies that you have to push it at full price. So it's very, very important that if you're looking at studio and project sustainability, and this is something that I've learned over, you know, the last 20 years, is you got to do the math. Always, always, always open up a, a shitty Excel spreadsheet or a Google sheet or whatever and run some numbers um, and run them at full price. And then run them at, you know what, I'm going to sell all of these during a sale at 70% off. How many copies do I need to push? And then ask around and see if those numbers are even reasonable. Um, I guarantee you, probably based on most of the budgets that I see, they're not reasonable at all. You should probably cut them by a tenth. Um, all of our budgets, and Overland is higher than this now, but the majority of our budgets run like thirty to 40,000 units. That I'm because I, I know I can sell that many copies across all of my platforms. Overland's a little bit higher now um, because I'm supporting more platforms than I intended from the beginning, but I have accounted for that in my budget numbers. And the last thing, especially when you're um, talking about business relationships and studio and project sustainability, <laughs> you have to rein in your personal fandom. Um, this comes up a lot. Um, which is you need to be careful that you don't let your nostalgia and your fandom of games get in the way with a very uh, good 
um, opportunity. Uh, so a lot of times there's sort of pointless prejudice against various consoles. Um, it's possible that your best biz partner champion might be a console that you don't play. It might be on a device that you don't own or a business model that you don't like. And it's important to keep an open mind when you are approaching people to sort of have studio and project sustainability. Um, I joke with Adam all the time that I publicly, I am not a fan of anything. Um, my biz dev relationships are based in fact, not fiction. And finally, it's okay to be cautious and to feel scared. This is normal. I am paranoid and terrified every day. Um, I've got a studio of eight now, eight people that we are paying healthcare for and paying their monthly salaries. And that's a lot of people on top of my own personal family. So if you feel like you're out in the weeds or you're treading water, um, you are in good company. There's a lot of us out there treading water. Okay, so that was my first thing. Second, the relationship equation. Um, a thing I rely on from a past life is all relationships start with identifying where our interests overlap. Um, and I also call this building your spider web. Uh, okay, so uh, this sort of comes from how I made friends when I was a painfully shy kid. Um, and then a painfully shy teen, and then a, a faking, fake it till I make it, painfully shy adult. Um, I used to, and still do, limit the scope of friendships. Um, and I often define friends initially by we are friends because of fill in the blank. So I had I, people I was friends with because we went to church together, and that was our overlap. Um, I was friends with girls because we went to dance. I was friends with uh, my basketball team. I was friends with I was friends with these people because that's not to say that's what my best friendships were like, but it was easy for me to um, quickly classify people because it made sense in my brain. Um, this sort of I don't necessarily do that anymore, but. When I was learning sort of my professional um, communication style, like in my 20s, um, I used to practice identifying um, common ground, why we're speaking to each other um, as quickly as possible. So this is really useful, for example, when you work in media. Um, I am pitching a story to you, the journalist, and I have to figure out why that journalist needs this story as fast as possible. And every single journalist has a different reasoning behind that. And it was my, um, my job to figure out that overlap as fast as possible. Um, so the interesting thing about the relationship equation and sort of your overlap is oftentimes, especially in a biz dev relationship, you focus on the overlap, even though your end goals might be different. Um, a biz dev relationship's end goal might be to um, uh, have a project that has going to win awards. Like, so we have a BAFTA award-winning game on our library or whatever. But your relation, your, your uh, end goal might be you are raising the profile of my game, so I sell more copies. It's possible that your game doesn't sell enough copies for the biz dev partner for it to really matter but those copies matter to you. So when I talk to people, I focus on what I overlap and kind of not much else. So things that you should really, like, they're nice, but they can't matter um, when you approach a biz dev relationship. Um, it doesn't matter who you hang out with. It doesn't matter, like, that you, you're known as being really nice. Um, your passive experience might be okay, but... Uh, and your personal loyalty doesn't really matter. Um, some of these help you get a meeting, but they won't solve your biz development problems because none of these things address your goal, your overlap, um, why you're talking to that person in the first place. When I took Tunic and I was negotiating Tunic with Xbox, our overlap was um, really obvious. Um, and it, it was easy to identify. Um, same thing, when I think about Overland and its participation in Apple Arcade, we overlap on multiple points. Um, but that doesn't mean that 
we are completely in line with each other that we're running on the same course because that's insane. This is Apple and little old Finji. We don't have the exact same end goals. However, we have so many that overlap. It's a really smart business decision. Um, so you're the idea that you are looking for a partner where your interests overlap and that's what you're focusing on in the communication is like super, super important. Um, so yeah, just to reiterate this again, because it is by far one of the most helpful things is what is the intersection point for you at the developer and then the company? Um, this is also the main subject of all pitches. Um, it's also what you're going to talk about at most business and dinner meetings. Um, these are also often your talking points. Um, when I uh, am being, if, if I'm at like a console event, the talking points are the intersection points for my game and that console. Um, and that's framed in that point. I don't, I pretty much don't bring up anything else because what's important there is our shared goals. Um, so I'm going to go through a couple other things because this actually uh, works across um, several things from sort of like the last 20 years of my life. Um, when I worked in media relations, my story mattered. Um, but what mattered more was the subject of uh, the subject of the story. So if I were pitching a story about um, a kid with muscular dystrophy, what mattered was that kid lived in that region and that's why that newspaper would cover it. The muscular dystrophy didn't matter. It was that here is a human story for that region. Um, when I did medical radio news spots for the University of Michigan Health System, what mattered was that the subject matter would reach the widest possible impaired demographic at a national level, but only at a fifth grade reading level. Um, they wouldn't cover wild corner case medical things. They would cover the widest possible um, sort of generic uh, health issues for the United States population skewed upwards at like 30 and up. Um, when I pitch stories for games media, we find the hook. Is it new content? Are they breaking a story? Are you offering an exclusive? Do you have talent to offer for interviews? What's the overlap? What do they want? When I represented a software company um, and I was speaking to a photographer or a lab owner, I would tailor my conversation to the exact workflow that they needed. Um, I didn't talk to wedding photographers the same way that I talk to sports photographers, the same way that I talk to school um, photo photographers. And when I work in dev relations and games, I speak to our intersection point. All of my goals in that relationship are not the same, and I only focus on the ones that are. Um, when I talk to a mobile, um, a mobile console or a mobile dev partner, I don't talk about console problems unless they matter. Okay, next, and my third thing, culture is silent, science. So I'm curious now, what are you watching? Um, I, I went to school for um, media or for communications, um, which means a lot of different things depending on where you're at. Um, uh, my particular degree is in, um, I was a student of media and culture, um, and my interest was in watching mass media trends and um, sounds kind of weird, but reactionary capitalism. So the way mass media trends make people buy things or adopt certain sort of like cultural phenomena. Um, so a better question than what are you watching is what am I watching? My biz dev life is watching all of this stuff. And... What else am I watching? I'm watching other game developers. I'm watching what kind of games are my fellow devs in the indie and AAA space making. I'm watching how are these capturing the imagination of the players? How did they perform? What language is being used when they talk about them? I am watching big and small publishers. What kinds of business decisions are my fellow publishers making? Were these good or bad moves? What were the outcomes and how can we, we meaning Finji, control for them? Are there any mistakes that we're watching that we can learn from so we don't have to make them? I'm watching investments, consolidations, and closings. Um, where are the people with money putting their money? If you do nothing else, follow the money. I watch press trends. What kinds of articles are leaving a footprint? Which press articles are reactionary? 
um, which are exposés, which reviewers provide thoughtful critiques. And we keep lists of that. Um, movie and TV web series trends across major markets, which seems odd because I work in games, but it's important to look at culture as a whole. Um, I am fascinated by the types of mass media the actual masses are consuming. Um, what is their obsession? Um, and more importantly, why are they obsessed? Um, can you pick out the pieces and are any of them usable for us in games? The answer is yes. Um, generational identity trends. Uh, this is all of that like, oh, these damn millennials. Um, what's important though is understanding how those older and younger than yourself use and interact with the technology um, that you are uh, creating things for. Um, also, who has the most disposable income and are they buying games? Uh, what kind of games are they buying? Um, and how are the buying trends changing for the most recent batch of independent adults? Um, what kind of social media are they using? Uh, what are players buying and what are they saying? Um, what's selling? Why? Who's buying it? How does this overlap with your game and your genre? How are streamers producing content and how does this overlap with my projects? Does streaming and streamer personality fit with the development and play style of my game at all? Is it worth developing relationships with content creators for my title? Um, how do people use their computers, phones, tablets, consoles? Um, what controllers or what are they using controllers? Are they mouse and keyboard still? Um, who owns the consoles and what games are selling well on those consoles? And then attitudes about the world in all major markets. And I wish I was kidding, but I'm not. I pay attention to whether it's a recession or not. Um, are people freaking out about money? Do certain generations have less? Um, are some more likely to participate in escapism at this time? Are more likely to be parents of young children or caring for their elderly parents who may need shorter, more flexible play sessions in the genre that I'm making? And this probably seems insane, but this is part of biz dev. This is the stuff I'm thinking about all the time. So when you watch and study where things have been, you will better understand where things are going. If you have a good understanding of the world around you, you will be able to sort of internalize that. And the people with money, the biz dev relationships you are cultivating, you will understand sort of the pressures, the outside pressures that they have. You guys are working with multimedia companies. The idea that you would ignore mass market, culture, and media seems insane. So you should probably just start paying attention to it. And not just the culture you like. Um, cool, we love sci-fi, fantasy, B-movies, but you should also pay attention to, um, I don't know, anything a woman in her 30s would like. Um, because women in their 30s are buying media for their kids. Um, and you should just have a grasp on like what the hell is going on with them. Um, you will have a lot more context on decisions that are made by watching the whole industry, which includes all of these tangential industries. So three things, be scrappy, diversify your business plan to be sustainable. Um, it's okay to be overly cautious about money and power. Um, my experience with poverty kind of meant that from the beginning we distributed our risk to make ourselves more sustainable, but that's like a lesson I learned. Um, but it's a lesson that I've taken on from like my like childhood, basically. It's okay to be crafty, identify where you and a business partner overlap interests. Um, because of my background in the, in media and product management, I was required to always think of conversations as pitches um, because of my painful shyness as a kid my interactions with other people were as sort of uh, quick and dirty as possible. So I would, could stop talking. Um, it's okay to work on these sort of things and it will help you um, represent yourself better. Um, and get your head out of the sand and educate yourself on the whole industry. Um, there is so much else out there that um, influences games uh, all the time. And as both in, both in academics and as a hobbyist now, um, and having this interest in sort of media culture, um, 
I am constantly approaching everything that I do from a place of research. Um, I like to poke at trends um, and I like, uh, I watch what people say versus what they do. Um, Oftentimes it's really fun actually to watch larger companies. They'll do, for example, a press conference and you can hear all the words they say and then watch everything they do and how it rolls out. Um, And oftentimes they are similar stories, but they're not the whole stories. And that's that, that's the whole idea of talking points. So it's um, really important to not take things at face value and to watch kind of all the pieces as they come together. Um, And I do this before I make any major decision. Um, So yeah, this is all my stuff. If you want to follow me, my personal Twitter is a hot mess. Um, But my dev team, both me and Adam, we hang out in the Finji Discord kind of every day. Um, And then all my other sort of Twitter accounts for all of my games are there across the bottom. Um, So yeah, uh, that's me. And I think we will be doing questions, um, possibly through Discord. So I just have to wait for things to pop up there. Uh, This is just one Um, last check. Becca, can you hear us or no? Yeah, I can't hear anybody. Seems like we've gotten to the end of her presentation. I've already got Brandon off camera. He's going to try to reach out to her directly through... uh, I guess you'd call it non-conventional methods, i.e. telephone. (laughs) And we'll see if we can get her on there so that we can complete the loop and make sure that she can hear us so that we can get the questions out. If that does not work, we're going to take it, uh, I guess it's actually newer than the telephone, but still considered old school. We will just type the questions to her and see if she'll respond to that because we do have type communication. So hopefully you guys have actually had a good chance to get a great understanding of how someone like Becca Salzman would be running the company Finji, uh, both creatively, but then also on the business end. She said some very key points that I'd just like to touch on for a moment. Again, identify those cross sections where your interests and the interests of the person you're potentially working with will overlap and align. Those end up being great talking points when you're presenting to them or even in just discussion in where your brand and their brand can take each other. Don't waste your time on anything too far outside of those intersection points. That's a great tip that I'm going to use moving forward in my own life as I do business things. And I hope that you guys on Twitch, everyone else in the world will do that too. Also, she says she's looking for mavens in industries or in sectors of industries that are really standing out and looking to have opportunities that they can take advantage of as well. So much like our podcast on game development was probably about how we got in touch with them in the first place. And then we've continued to do things supporting them and they've continued to do things supporting us. So that is a clear and prime example of exactly that type of talk actually happening in real life. And that's her putting it into action. Um, I don't know if we're ready for questions yet. Let me just, how are we doing? Keep going? Okay, cool. I'm gonna look at Twitch and see if Twitch has said anything cool really quick. Uh, Thanks to everybody who has obviously shouted out our podcast and Twitch. That's great. Thanks, everybody there. Again, thank you for watching. Thanks for being a part of this. Uh, Come hell or high water, we're getting through day two. No matter what comes our way, we make sure that the show must go on because that's what we do here, both on the podcast, both on the show. So, again, if I can take a moment, uh, Becca, you may not even hear this until you watch this back. uh, But thank you very much for being a part of this, being here with us and taking time out of your very busy day to construct the talk, to prepare and then come on live and then and, you know, present all this wonderful information to everybody. Uh, you look worried, so <laughs> we're not going to show you on the on the big screen yet. But I'm still over here. Do you? I know, I know. I, I don't see anything happening, so just give me a sec. Uh, it's a one-man show, so I'd like to tell everybody about my new rap album that's coming out soon. Oh, I'm just kidding. I wish I had something to say <laughs> that I could promote for myself, but no, seriously... I'm really happy that we've gotten this far through GDUX. Uh, I can personally reflect on that. It's, you know, it's been a tough couple of months getting this all planned, getting everybody, you know, pitching to all the speakers to say, hey, do you want to do this thing for free? It's going to take time out of your day. Uh, Pitching to the sponsors, getting them involved. So again, thank you to all the sponsors who followed through, uh, who wanted to be part of this. Uh, Thanks to Brandon for handling all the off-camera stuff. And thanks to myself for handling all the screen transitions that you guys see. So, for example, when I do that, that's me. When I do that, even though that's Brandon, that's still me. Yeah, I'm not talking yet. I'm I'm getting her on the phone. We're using old tech. I had no idea my phone does this, but I can actually call her so that she can hear us. Who uses a phone to be a phone anymore? (laughs) Like, that's, that's, that's so old school. So, I believe she's calling me. All right. 
So let's uh, just hang tight, guys. Let's uh, let's. And uh, I believe if I unmute you, Becca, we can hear you on this side. So let's just test. Uh, Becca, can you hear us? Can you hear us? I hello? had you for a second. Oh, she has for a second. She had us at hello. You hear us? Hello, hello, hello. I can hear you, but you're cutting out. Oh, okay. Just hold it up to your face. I will hold it up to my face. Hello, do you hear me? Yep, I can hear you. Okay, there we go. All right. So we're gonna do. <laughs> we're gonna use this the phone as a, a double mic. All right. So here we go. All right. So uh, Becca, obviously, uh, thank you for joining us uh, over 30 minutes ago. Fantastic. Um, presentation. My first question is, of course, you're talking about putting your eggs in many baskets to make sure that when you're balancing things, uh, if one thing fails, you have others to fall back on. How do you keep and manage all the things that you're doing aside from looking at the market and not just games, all different mediums out there on making sure that you are on the cusp, whatever your next product is, is going to be relevant by the time it comes out. Like how, what, are you using some kind of super software we're not aware of? Are you just keeping this on your head? How are you doing this? She's stolen awesome powers. Uh, okay. That's a loaded question. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, um, how am I doing this? I don't know. Uh, the cool thing is, like, and you guys sort of mentioned it at the beginning, like, I am not, I'm not alone over here. Like, I'm not some crazy superwoman, whatever. I, uh, I'm meticulous. That's true. But um, I'm sitting in a studio with Adam um, and, like, my husband and, He's brilliant. Um, and then we work with other people who are also brilliant. But in so many ways, like, I, I talk to a lot of people. And it's not like the decisions I'm making are always right. It's that I am making decisions based on the best information I have at the time. Um, so, and some of those, sometimes they're bad. Like, we've, uh, excuse my language, fucked up pretty bad multiple mm -hmm. times mm -hmm. um so i uh, yeah like juggling it sucks um i i'm like old school so like i keep my Netflix like hobonichi journals. is just like packed full of uh to-do lists like endless to-do lists um but then there's a reason why there's eight of us now Mm -hmm. um, three or two of those eight people are technically on my team. So I have a community manager that's managing all of our discord and our forum stuff. And he also sort of does double duty over on um, uh, helping out with our media, which is a contract position. So I'm not even including, including Felix in that eight. Um, but then I also have a biz dev assistant now here in Grand Rapids because my job was too big. So I am better at managing um, kind of like the higher level stuff mm -hmm. because I'm watching trends all the time. But I've brought on other people to sort of take care of the rest in a lot of ways because my job right. used to be finances and legal and this higher stuff and biz dev relationships and I would get us through um, all the back ends with the consoles and I managed half the testing, but we're bringing on more people. So I only have like four jobs instead of 15. Um, but that's kind of across all of Finji. Um, yeah. So yeah, does that yeah, answer your yep. question? It does. Uh, and forgive us for you know going right to the next question, unfortunately, not letting stuff breathe all the time because we do have a bunch and we are limited on time. So without further ado, the next question I have for you is, oh, can one have too many baskets in regards to time or attention or the ways that you're splitting things up as far as your focus goes? Yes. Um, and we actually ran into that um, when we were launching Night in the Woods. So we were working on Night in the Woods, like full time, both of us. We were also doing development on Overland, which had to take sort of a back burner in 2017. But then we were also doing our um, University of Utah, um, our, sort of our last turnkey project was still going on at that point. 
So, and we were in the process of trying to hand that off. And on top of that, like I've got two goblin children in my house. Um, and the little one in 2017, yeah, right, uh, was not in school yet. And I had only put him in preschool three days a week. So, like, yeah, you can have too many damn baskets. And it's important at that point to start consolidating, to identify that, hey, you have overstretched in a way that's unhealthy and it sucks. So, yeah, um, at that point, like, uh, sometimes, especially with contract stuff, it's almost easier to cut your losses. Um, it's okay to quit a job. Uh, it took me, I don't know, 15 years to be okay with that. Um, but yeah, you can 100% like scale back and find a healthier way to live. Um, as it stands, um, right now we're working extra hours because con- like code lock on Overland is literally on Monday. Mm-hmm. Um, but even our extra hours is nothing like an actual crunch. It's just like an extra couple weeks of overtime. Well, thank you for giving us some of your time. Yes, uh, I do have one question as well. Uh, this is from Calix Jumio. Uh, he asks, so for sustainability research for games that are different, but the same people similar people would play like how exactly do you you find that he should know that he's on my discord (laughs) there you go hi calyx okay so um this has been a kind of a passion project problem whatever you want to call it um partly because i am not in any demographic for games um nobody makes games for me um the closest thing is night in the woods so the idea that we would have a dedicated fan base who trusts us enough in our taste that they would play something outside of their genre is kind of like my whole mission. It's why I put, like, if you go to, like, a PAX, I have eight seats, and I have, um, you know, Wilmot's Warehouse sitting next to Tunic, sitting next to Overland, sitting next to Night in the Woods, And every single one of those games is in a different genre. And the only thing that I actually want are people who show up to play their favorite genre stick around and play the other games. Um, Because there's no... I mean, there are people who are like, I only play this game genre. But oftentimes it's not even for very good reasons. Like, I have a preference. I have book types that I like to read. I have movies that I prefer but there's no reason that I wouldn't want to experience other types of media. Um, and it's kind of like my goal and our company's goal to encourage people to explore other types of media. So even if you only play, you know, AAA first-person shooter, you're going to love Tunic. And to be perfectly honest, you'll probably love Wilmot's as well because it's outside of it's outside of the, the genre. It scratches a different itch okay so as a fan of what you guys do who's looking forward to the next piece of software coming out for your company um and i've seen a little bit i saw the apple commercial as well so congrats there but is there one thing that you think is really cool about this product that you'd like to tell our audience that you're like hey you know this next piece of software we got coming you guys want to check it out it's different but we're telling some stories through this perspective going on this long adventure that you're going to be fly on the wall like how would you wrap up your pitch and then say this is cool because blank about Orlin. Are we are we like on my next games that I'm launching? Oh, uh, if you'd like to what share, are we if you if you want to, okay. if you can, I, I'd I'd love to hear. But anything that you can say, I have you know, feel two free. games coming out this year. Oh, pl- I'm sorry. Please hit me with both. <laughs> Forgive me. I haven't followed up to the T like I should have. <laughs> no, it's fine. Clearly, uh, I'm biased towards one of them. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've got. I got two super cool games coming out this year. Um, one very, very big game and one sort of smaller game. Um, and the a lot of people know a lot more about the bigger game, so they know a lot more about Overland because it's coming out on all the consoles. Um, so finding information about that is a little bit easier, but I guess my pitch, my next launch, is probably going to be Wilmot's. I don't have a date on it yet. Okay. Um, okay. 
But Wilmot's Warehouse is this amazing experience where you play as this, it's literally, you play as Wilmot, he's a square, and you get truckloads of uh, warehouse items, and you have to organize them however you want. It's like playing Animal Crossing, but only the house. And then you have to, like, deliver things from your house to somebody else. It is, like, the most relaxing, like... Like, you know, when you have to, you're like, I have to organize this shit in my house, but it sucks. I never want to do it. Yeah. Now imagine scratching that itch. (laughs) Yeah. So imagine feeling like you organized your house, but not having done a damn thing. And that's Wilmot's. Okay. (laughs) It's awesome. (laughs) All right. Um, Uh, We put it next to Tunic real quick. We put it next to Tunic at Pax's on purpose because the Tunic line is usually the longest. Um, and I usually end up having people bounce out of the tunic line and we sort of just hold their space to play Wilmot's because they're like, what is this? And they'll lose like a half hour. Um, it's just one of those like really satisfying experiences and it's made by two like veteran award-winning developers. So actually you guys know, um, Ho-Ho-Kum. Okay. Two of the guys who made Ho-Ho-Kum are the lead devs on it. All right, so you have to forgive me. So I, that's two games on my radar that I'm looking forward to coming from you guys now, not just the one. So thank you for educating me, but also our entire Twitch audience. Everybody on YouTube, everybody watching from LinkedIn, Facebook, or even the Twitter link, all of them are active right now. So we got all the eyes. Uh, so Hi. most importantly, Becca, thank you very much for being a part of this. This is the first time we tried to do something like this and you taking time out to believe in us to offer your brand and your experiences to help push us for another hour's worth of content. I mean, it's immeasurable to us and we really appreciate what you've done. So thank you on behalf of our audience and behalf of Brandon and myself. Uh, We appreciate you being here. Yeah, of course. Thanks, guys.